Hi, this is the Toco US brand manager, Ian Harvey. I'm here with Jan Gunther. Jan Gunther's background is participating in and organizing triathlons and Nordic ski races. After graduating Duke University, she worked as a financial analyst for a telecommunications company. After com completing her MBA at the Kellogg School of Business at Northwestern University, she quit her job and purchased a bike shop. In 1991, Jan Gunther and her husband, Brian Knutson moved to Minneapolis and founded Gear West. Gear West has changed over the years and currently exists as two stores, Gear West Adrenaline and Gear West Ski and Bike. GearWest.com is also a successful part of their business, making up over one third of their sales. Gear West has been the largest cross-country ski retailer in the United States for many years and continues to be. Jan is an owner who is involved in all aspects of the business and along with a great staff is directly responsible for the great success of the organization. Jan Gunther has been and continues to be an elite runner cyclist, triathlete, and cross-country ski racer. Despite having had participated in 30 American Berkebiners, Jan was still an amazing 27th place overall in the 2020 Berkey winning her age group, and this was after two long days of working in the expo. Jan, thank you for being with me and with the American Ski Public today. I'm sure this will be a very interesting interview, giving a look into a side of the ski world that most of our listeners won't be so familiar with. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I We'll drudge back a lot of memories and um, a path that I never knew I would have graduating from college. So it'll be fun. Cool. Well, let's start out by, uh, let me ask you where you grew up and how and when you started Nordic skiing. I grew up outside Chicago and I did not start Nordic skiing until uh, I would say two years after college, probably 84. Um, 1984 so I was about 23 years old so I wish I had learned beforehand I probably would have chosen a completely different college but um, I'm happy I was exposed to it and how did you get into the sport or the activity well I um, was commuting to my job as a telecommunications person I had just finished going to two and a half years of night school along with everything. And I thought this cannot be my life. I just need more. Um, I need more outside, something more action. I would run upstairs from run up in the elevator to go to work after trying to fit in a 45 minute run over lunch. And I, and I just couldn't pretend to be like everybody else. So I finished, um, they paid for business school. I finished it and then said, I'm quitting. And they all saw, thought I would move to MCI or something like that. And I said, no, I'm going to have a bike store in the ski store. And they looked at me like I had lost my mind. And um, I bought a bike and ski store with a couple of people I knew. And I started to learn how to ski on the sides of a highway in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Wow. Um, so so the, the, maybe the thing that prompted you to kind of drop everything and Moved to Minneapolis, I guess, is what you did at the same time? Or did you buy well, the bike shop in Chicago first? It's not long. I mean, I feel like my story sort of, sort of boring, but it probably, maybe it's interesting to other people. Um, I quit everything. I bought a bike and ski store. I started doing triathlons. I decided just to do an Ironman. And I look back at that first because that was, I did Hawaii before power bars were invented, and before aero bars were invented, and... Um, before clipless pedals were invented. So it seems like a long time ago. And then that year I just started learning how to ski. And I 
liked skiing. I picked up skate skiing. I was terrible at classic skiing. And I did okay. And we started buying some skis at our store. And Brian Knutson came down as our rep. And he looked at my bases of my skis and said, you actually skied the Pepsi up north on those bases? And so he um, fixed them up. And I met Brian that way. And I ended up a couple of years later moving to Minneapolis to be with him and start a store. Cool. And that's where you started Gear West. You didn't buy it, we, it wasn't existing. You no, we started Gear West. Um, for many of you might know Lynn Cecil, her parents, BJ's, were trying to sell their store and it was B and J for Brian and Jan. I thought, I don't want to start a store all over again. I had quit my business already and started a store. But um, we just decided uh, we just decided to start it from scratch. So we started in 500 square feet and Brian was still working for Fisher Skis. And um, uh, we were so tiny, we could fit six six bikes into the building and boxes of boots would fall on my head. And that's how we started in Long Lake, Minnesota, which is about uh, 20 minutes west of the cities. So... When I started my business a while ago, I had to put my house as collateral for a loan. You you were a, probably in a better financial position than I was, but did you have some some kind well, of- We didn't have a house. We rented a, okay. an apartment. Um, I had $11,000 and that's how we started. I went to Bauer Cycle Supply, got um, the items we needed to work on bikes and I will never forget it, it was $11,000. So that's how we did start Gear West. The reality is I had about $11,000 in my house too. So we were about the same. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so over the years, you've started a few different iterations of Gear West, some of which you sold or closed. And, and now I believe you have two store locations with different focuses as well. As yes. I, yeah. It's about the same time that um, um, Eric Spike's store started. So we started and he went one way and I remember being very conscious of the way I went. Eric's bike store now has 22, 23 bike stores in the Midwest. I am not a good systems person. My head is pretty complicated and I just wanted one store where I could know my employees, but it took many different pathways because I think about many different things all at once. So the mixture of Gear West is probably because I have too many things going on in my mind. We started out as a ski and bike store, triathlon store, and then it grew. And then we figured out, well, we have to split it because we ran out of room. So we would add running, running shoes to the ski store to give it some extra business in the summertime. And then we had two businesses and then we sort of brought it back to one as we moved to another location. And then after a decent year with snow, we had a competitor that went out of business and they had an Alpine store. And I, they said, all the reps said, why don't you go into Alpine? And I said, why not? And that was one of the big mistakes that most entrepreneurs do is they get a little success and they think they can just expand in different ways. And I don't know much about Alpine being from Chicago. So I lost my shirt on Alpine for three years my son, thank goodness, is in the military because I don't think I could have sent him to college on what we lost in Alpine. But we slowly dug in, pulled it out. Since then, we had purchased some land for our stores to actually build a building and um, have a store building that reflected the type of business we did. And then we moved Alpine onto that campus. And now we have 
Then we sold the bike store for a while because I had a really good employee who wanted to leave and start another triathlon store. And I said, why don't you just take her bike store? And he took it for 15 years. And then he got too challenged by the internet and e-commerce and everything was happening. So we bought the bike store back. And now I have a conglomeration of bike, web, alpine, and cross-country ski. So, so can, you, can you give a quick thumbnail of your, I think, two stores and kind of what, they, what they're about? Yes, we have, um, since we moved about four or five times in Long Lake, we now built a building, two buildings. So I know just enough about building to become dangerous. And our larger building has our bike business in it. Um, and it's somewhat separate, but since we bought it back again, we cut a hole in the wall and it's connected to our cross-country ski and run store. And our cross-country ski store really is the, I would say the um, primary business. It's the one I know the most. It's the one that we focus the most on and it's the one that supports some of the other businesses at times. And we have skis all year round. And really I have to say it's due to Brian because when he came from Fisher and started fitting skis, he wanted to fit the best skis that he could. And that took a huge amount of ski inventory. So he'd buy all these skis so he could select the skis from there. And then I was left figuring out how to sell them. So then I got a domain name and slowly went from there. And we added gearwest.com um, and started working on figuring out how to make these skis disappear after a while. So we, we, added, we added the web business a little earlier than probably much of our competition did. I have a question. <clears throat> is, is Wyzetta or Long Lake west of the cities? Is that where Gear West yes. is from? Yes, we're 20 minutes west of the cities. Oh, Gear West just came because we were west. Yes. Right, okay. Yes. <clears throat> so it's imp not everyone who's listening to this knows Gear West, I would assume. Um, I know you've got customers all over the country, but just to be clear, um, as an owner, you're nothing like some owners out there that are kind of absent, that are wealthy and don't, aren't participatory <laughs> in the business. You're very hands-on, you're driven, you're involved in every aspect of the business. And I say that with respect, I like that, um, which is one reason I wouldn't be doing this with you otherwise. But I should say, but after you and Brian, you've had many superb employees over the years and you continue to today. And they've obviously been a uh, part of your success. You want to give a shout out to your staff? Yes. Um, I, it's been an incredibly, incredibly interesting 35 years. I went to school thinking I'd become a veterinarian. So this is completely different. Um, I, I have to say, though, I look back and the two things I love the most are our customers and the employees. What I've had to learn over the years was after you get more than five employees, your job is managing employees versus managing the store and I was maybe I wasn't a psychology major for nothing it takes a lot of psychology you have um, very the types of people that want to be in this business are passionate about what we sell are um, either using our store as a landing place before they move on to some other types of business or if I can capture the few that want to remain here how do you keep them here and so I try my very hardest and we all make mistakes and I think um, owning a store makes me more humble than perhaps maybe being a mom and having two kids but you always have to look at what you can do for your employees as best as we can and I have tremendous employees I mean they are I can't know everything and for me having 
people that know more than me or have skills where I don't have is the only way uh, a small business can grow. And so it's gotten to the point, it's pretty embarrassing as an owner because I really don't know as much about Kickwax anymore. I don't know much about web. I don't know much about Alpine. And sometimes I wonder what I do know other than paying bills, but um, it's the way it should be. So we just try to grow, but we need the entire store to make that happen. Super. So here's a, a key question for you. As I said earlier, Gear West is the biggest Nordic ski dealer in the country and has been for very many years. What do you think has been key in growing this very successful business over the years? Well, you have to be passionate about your sport. I mean, I, I love everything about Nordic skiing and I always have. And it might be bizarre, but I just do. So we know it through and through. And we haven't followed business school rules, which is probably helpful at times. I mean, if you look at inventory turns, you wouldn't buy so many skis. You, um, it's pretty hard to guess what the weather will be like. So you just have to learn to carry inventory over. You have to figure out how to get rid of it. It is, um, I think you have to figure out what works for your or a unique store. And we've somehow figured out what works for us. At least I've gotten used to it, but it um, doesn't follow a normal business school type of trajectory and, and um, inventory flow. That's something I think that very few people understand, not only the cross-country ski retail business, but also the cross-country ski wholesale business, you know, as a supplier, both of those are so flawed from a business model, it's almost impossible to think a person or a company could be successful because of the seasonality, because of bad weather, not bad weather, the expensive inventory, all the different SKUs. It's a, it's a fickle, difficult industry that I don't think people understand this. But you do. Yeah, you just you learn to live with a lot of uncertainty. And so it's a balance between living with that, um, realizing that you know, if you have a lot of friends, you still have to treat everybody like it's a business. You can't give things away because you won't be in business. And I try not to have any debt because it's too hard to do this with debt and, um, and to um, guess on the weather. So. so we just spoke some about the... The weather is tricky and, and that has an effect on inventory, your liquidability of the inventory. Um, so from a financial point of view, I understand those challenges. Let me ask you again though, owning a retail store sounds glamorous and fun, but clearly the hours are long. It's tons of work and pressure, especially as the owner. You screw up or get unlucky and you can lose any stability or security that you may have worked up over the years, as you alluded to before with the, the foray into Alpine. Can you please comment on the most challenging aspect of what you do, except for perhaps the, the seasonality and the, and the finance? Well, that's, yeah, I would say it's employees. It's my staff. It's, um, you have great staff, and then they will say the words that every owner doesn't really want to hear. Can I just talk to you for a brief moment? And they go, okay, you're leaving. Um, you know, and for whatever reason, it's keeping and retaining great staff in an industry that can only afford to pay a certain level. So what I try to do is provide flexibility, provide ways that staff who have kids can um, have more flexibility than they might in other ways, um, have a chance to play with their toys, um, bring your dogs into the store. You just try to make it work in ways that a normal job could not, um, could not do. And so it's, it's all staff now. So you and Brian raised two boys. Um, 
from what I've seen of your family and your boys, every time I, I am exposed to your family like that, I'm really proud and, um, and I admire what you've done with your family. Having had said that, you've obviously worked a ton over the last 35 years and you've been um, working out a lot. So um, I'd love to hear your comments on balancing being an elite athlete with an active lifestyle and obviously being a very active mom and parent. Well, oh, I would say that everyone looks at another family. I would probably say that about you, Ian, because my family has as many flaws and, and challenges and um, hurdles and lows and highs as anyone else. I could say, looking back now, I'll say, few. my boys came through fine. I wanted them all to ski, and they made sure they didn't do anything that wore Lycra. So they um, really put their foot down on a business that took much of our our lives and that was a challenge um i they they're great boys they don't want our business and i would never want them to have it unless they had a passion for it uh, but um they're fine now but <laughs> it wasn't an easy it wasn't an easy ride um and it's i guess the one thing because i do love to focus on this issue with a lot of women is how do you balance career, children, spouse, working out? And all I can say is that you never, you never land on a solution. You just move around a little bit. And as long as you don't get too far out in one way or another, you juggle it. And um, I don't think some people would like my life. So it really depends on what kind of life a person wants. Yeah. I don't sit down very much. I, I, I live in high stress. For me, skiing and racing was the one way I could let it go. But I think I could let it go in a well-balanced way because, um, or let go, I say, of my stress. But um, I might be driven, but I'm not as driven as some of our customers. Um, you have to realize it's just all a game. You do it for fun. You do it for fitness. You do it to, to stay healthy. And for me, my people I admire the most are those who also try to juggle kids and career and staying healthy. I mean, if you're only one of those, you're not that interesting a person, I think. Um, it's good to have a little bit of everything. For sure. <laughs> and even as a parent, as you're pointing out, even as a parent, I think there are times when your kids are younger, they're, they're non-negotiable. You have to be there. You have yes. to take more care. But there are some times in your kids' lives, they don't want to be around you. And it's right. hard not to because you love them so much and you want to take advantage of the time. And it's actually healthy to, to go do something for yourself and come back and they see that you're not hovering and then they might open up to you. Yeah, it's a little bit of everything. I'm, I'm all for being an independent um, mother, but um, it's, you know, you have to pick and choose when those times are right. And my son who's in the military is still yearning for the hot dinner meal that I never provided. I got him breakfast, but never dinner because we were always busy at the, at the store. So, um, yeah, you make it through and you show a lot of love and you somehow hope it all works out. Yeah, well, cool. Let me ask you uh, another kind of related question, but if you have a different answer, then it would make sense. Looking back over your 30 years of ownership and running the shop, if you could do it all over again, what would you do differently? Wow. Um, Hindsight, you know? <laughs> that's a tough one. I, I, I since we started it from scratch and we did everything, if I could have learned how to build systems into our business a little bit more than I did, I had to 
come back and actually hire a consultant friend who said when he worked it, walked into our store, his head hurt. So that was his head hurt because he saw so many skews, so many different things going on without a lot of um, uh, probably um, organization. So trying to learn how to put systems in place the last five years as, we, as we've gotten significantly larger and as I've had to buy a bike store back that I did not have any bike experience for the last 15 years. So being out of the business and coming back into it was very, very challenging. Um, you know, from skewers to through axles. And um, I had to really figure out how to manage a team and have a, t a team of longtime employees that I could rely on for them then to manage the different categories of our business. And that was, um, that was challenging for me to let go and figure out how to manage other people and trust them and have them trust me. So that's an ongoing challenge and one I really, I enjoy learning about, um, but it's, it's been hard work. Okay. So here's a completely unrelated question that I, I, I'm really interested in hearing about. You crashed in your bike badly about a year and a half ago, so in the spring of 2019. This caused you, a person who goes from one thing to the next continually with great energy and enthusiasm, never sits down, to have to sit still and completely shift modes as a person. This must have been a difficult time for you, which must have yielded some important lessons on how to deal with a situation like that. My experience in such difficult experiences teach us about, my experience is in such difficult experiences teaches us about managing life, but especially about ourselves, our strengths, weaknesses, especially our imbalances. Uh, I mean, if you were to approach a normal person and say, man, I wasn't able to work out for three months, it was total hell they wouldn't be very impressed with you as a person. You know, they'd be like, what's the big deal? You know, that's not a real problem. For us, hyperactive types though, working out provides us with stress release, with thinking time, a feeling of satisfaction, including endorphins, et cetera. When you have to go cold turkey because of a serious injury, you have to adapt and learn. So please describe your experience for us and what you learned. Well, I think Ian, you've had the same sort of struggle probably even longer than I have with your um, challenges on that medicine that you took. It's, um, I, I had to look at it as a really an opportunity. I flew off my bike uh, going about 25 miles an hour, flew 42 feet, landed on a curb, broke five ribs, and um, my um, tibia and fibia um, were cracked and enough that I had, uh, had a plateau fracture and had to have some screws and a plate in. And so I had to be on, on a walker for about three to four weeks until my ribs could handle going on um, crutches. And basically the next day when I had the operation, I had to figure out how I would handle this. And I, I have to actually say I'm pretty happy with myself because you have to figure out what good you can get out of it. And okay, my, my whole summer would change. And I would call them my um, tiny little exercises, my stupid tiny little exercises. I would do, I had to figure out how to move my legs, move my arms and keep myself from losing fitness. And so I would devise 45 minutes um, of stupid tiny little exercises that I would never consider working out in my life. But then I would figure out how to try to go to work and I would fall asleep by 5.30 because my body was exhausted because it was, it was trying to heal itself, which is, I think what keeps you from going crazy, because if you really have some kind of trauma, 
your body is repairing itself. But I had to just be grateful. And I was incredibly grateful that I did not hit my head. Seven days later, a skier that I know had a similar bike crash with people that I know, and he's uh, quadriplegic. So I really was incredibly grateful. And I think if you have a, you can find the good in whatever sits you, sits you back and you can see what you can do. And my God, I had my head and I could heal. And um, so I just had to take it day by day and be sort of fascinated on um, how one could be in crutches for three months because I never thought I ever could do that. But um, it, I think it just expands all of our humility and our gratefulness of doing what we can do. And um, it's a, it was a different side of living. So um, it was painful, I can tell you that. I'm sure it was a difficult period. Yeah. You alluded to the problem I had. I took a medicine 13 years ago, and ever since then, I've had bad problems with tendons, connective issues, uh, tissues, and, and lower legs in general. And um, I, I became aware afterwards, although I feel like I work hard and I, I, I challenge myself, but I don't feel like I have a stressful life because I like what I do. After that happened, I realized I did have a stressful life, but I just didn't feel the stress because working out kind of erased it, you know? It was kind of like a release valve, and I didn't even realize I had stress at all. And after I wasn't able to work out, I'd, I'd go for periods of eight months with zero workouts, nothing, zero, you know, maybe a short walk. And, um, and I had a hard time figuring out, even recognizing I had stress built up, much less how to figure out how to deal with it. And you're a person who's extremely, let's say, energetic and focused and and uh, you know you do one thing 100% like I do, you do another thing 100% like I do, and, and you go from one thing to the next. Did this present a challenge to you where you, you realized that you were, you didn't have exercises role in your life to perhaps build off stress or to provide some kind of relief or stimulation? Well, at, at first it was really weird. I think you almost have to get rid of the endorphins that you're used to having. I mean, and then I am... Um, I just made it more stressful in a different way. I tried to go to work and I would hang on crutches because I wanted to be at the bike store. It was only the first year. I just hang there on crutches and try to get, I would get all worked up at all the clothing that was all messed up. I um, tried to go to art school. I loved, I loved drawing and I haven't had time to do that much. So I thought I would go there and that was painful with my leg. I just kept, and then I started swimming and I would swim and drag my leg along and I tried to swim every day outside. So I just went from one kind of, personal stress to another. <laughs> I did the same thing. I was swimming, and then I ended up injuring my shoulders because of the same connective tissue problem. <clears throat> but I was also, I took up international coin collecting and I was also <laughs> painting. And I'm a horrible painter, but I got to where I was impressing myself if nothing else, because I knew how bad I am, you know? And I took up Spanish and fluent in Spanish because of that. And um, so, I, you know, I had all these hobbies that I was playing around with. But the one thing that was interesting for me, at least, that came the closest to replacing to simulating exercise without doing anything. You know that Wim Hof stuff? I, I jump in a freezing cold shower. And, and it, it would stimulate your body in ways that you can't otherwise. And I was actually play heavy metal while I was doing it. <laughs> and I walk out of there wow. in a great mood, all fired up, you know? Wow, now that takes dedication. My only, I don't, I could not follow Wim Hof stuff. I, I, I've jumped into cold water and that's about it. I could not take a cold shower. The only thing I did do exactly for 30, for three months, 
was I stopped eating carbs. I thought, I can't sit there and be so concerned about getting fat. I will follow this no-carb diet. And I actually did it. And the moment I could start walking again, even for 45 minutes, I'm, um, I started eating carbs again. I never, it never was lasting, but that was my big accomplishment. Yeah, that so, is big. that's not an easy thing. But um, you're used to eating carbs because you're used to working out. I know. I had this. I had to because I knew I would be in a depressed state if I gained a lot of weight. Well, that's really impressive. Good job. Anyway, but I will say I healed for the most part. You have something ongoing, so you know it's a whole different mental attitude to figure out where to find your blessings, and you've got a whole doing it. So. Yeah, you know, we all have our journeys and our, our challenges. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, thanks. And I think you had something in there about being a female in this business, and I would definitely touch on that in the in the bike in the in this um, outdoor industry. And I'll maybe pull in um, Cindy Swift, who owns Riverboat Bike and Ski, because we were she was had a smaller store, but was still in the ski business when I was. And we went to um, several trade shows together, being the only women that were actually responsible for buying product. And at that time, the trade shows never had any product that really fit us at all. And we would just go to the very distributors and say, okay, you have nothing to fit us and you want us to buy it? Guess we can't. And it was really interesting. We were definitely two to three to four years ahead of the game until the ski industry at least realized that um, there were was women that needed to try on product and they were responsible for um, purchasing the product and it was it was an interesting time to be in the outdoor industry when most distributors were all male so it would, as a man I'm not as sensitive to this as many which is why I wanted to ask you about this. But from my perspective, you're pretty much the strongest, you show the strongest leadership qualities and the strongest drive, like strength of any buyer or any owner. So I don't necessarily think of you as a woman, I think of you as a strong leader in, in, of, the, of the strongest shop in the United States. So that's where I was kind of coming from with this because I wanted to learn something. So my question is, um, there are a lot of strong female figures in the Nordic ski industry, but not so much who are strong owners of, of shops. There are some, but not so many. Um, and I think you're the best example of this. You are a strong leader of the leading shop in the United States. Um, and my question is, do you think your experience or your effectiveness are slightly different things as a shop owner would be different somehow if you were a man rather than a woman? It's interesting. I, cause I wouldn't, I, two things. I don't run around trying to be some woman's liver or anything. I mean, you just do your job to right. me. And I think that women have to um, be aware. I think it's just so naturally of what you, I mean, your business. You can't do stupid things that don't make sense. You just have to look at things pretty much black and white and, I think I might appear stronger than I might be underneath. So I don't know how I appear. Um, I'm pretty, I'm busy. So maybe I'm a little more blunt than I realize, but I, I, um, I don't think I'm as strong as I might appear to be. Yet, I also don't like to play games. There's not enough time to play games. So with distributors, you just go and you ask and you figure out things and you want stuff to be fair. 
And I never really, other than not having product for women, which changed after a while, I didn't really look at myself um, as disadvantaged in any way. But I will tell you that most, if I didn't probably have the ability to ski well, I don't think I would have been taken seriously for a long time. Um, have, being good in sports helped. So I just took it for granted. But if I was if I couldn't get on a pair of skis and I couldn't at least be as fast as half the people I was with, I don't think they would have um, taken me seriously. There might be, I don't know, but there might be more of a difference between a, a, a female owner that can't ski compared to a male owner that can't ski. But let's just say, I, don't, I hesitate to say a name. I'm not going to say a name. But let's say there's a male owner that I know of who I don't believe has ever put a pair of ski does in his life. And he's no longer the owner of that shop, but I, I would, I never looked at him the way I looked at you. Like when it came to buying decisions, I felt like either he needed to know what he was talking about, you know, like something very specific, or I was going to go to more lengths to try to guide him. Whereas with you, I don't feel like, I mean, I basically say, what are you looking for? You know, how can I help you? Whereas, you know, so for me, like if I visit a shop or a shop visits me at a trade show, I don't think male, female, I think, okay, what kind of a shop is it? What kind of a personality is this? You know, are they looking, what kind of help, how can I help them? And so on. You know, I don't think male, female at all. And I think you have a lot more respect about from both angles of things. Um, I think customers, I would say most part, and maybe I'm talking about customers as well. Um, yeah. I think distributors want to sell and um, being a skier, I have a little more definite opinion of what I think works and doesn't work. So you don't have to guide me as much, but I always welcome suggestions. Um, and I, but I think as a shop owner and a partial buyer, just being able to ski well allowed people to listen to me. Otherwise, they would have gone to anyone else. I mean, I had to know what I was doing better than some. I think that's a really good point. Let me let me add another factor. Or, or I think cross country skiers are probably the most judgmental out of any group that I know of when it comes to body composition and fitness. So like if, if I were a, a rent, a, a, you know, an owner or a work in the industry and I obviously didn't look like I was competitive in any way in any kind of endurance right. sport, I wouldn't get the respect that you and I get because not only have we, have we got long record of, of credibility, you know, credibly worth results and activity, but also, I mean, someone never heard of us or never seen us before would be like, okay, I think I'm going to maybe ask that person something because they kind of look like a They look more fit. I agree. Yeah. Well, it's just like going to a hairdresser and having somebody with terrible hair cut your hair. I mean, someone's just, um, or short men maybe are, don't have as much um, career advancement as tall men. I mean, life's never fair. Yeah. So you just got to figure out what works well for you and um, to go ahead with it. And, you know, I guess as an owner, this is the biggest thing I tell people. I can have all the excuses I want, but it won't hurt anything but me. I can assume that, I mean, if I don't listen to my employees, who is it going to hurt? It's just going to hurt me. If I think that I'm disadvantaged in any reason whatsoever, well, what am I going to do about it? I mean, it's my story. Either sinks or swims, depending on how much um, I can lead it through things like this COVID or how much I can lead it through um, good choices. And if you are really honest and just say, okay, I goofed up here and I made some good choices here and you just march your way through. Um, but I think it, it requires, um, uh, now I lost my train of thought because there's so many different. 
feeling. It just, it requires feeling confident. You have to make decisions. You have to be able to look at those decisions, change them around quickly, make new ones. Um, and you really have to look at yourself and analyze it because you can't survive this retail business if you give yourself excuses. So, so to, my, my kind of key question was more or less, is there something we all need to understand about being a woman owning and running a shop like yours? And it sounds like you're saying maybe the standard's a little higher. You need to be competent. You need to be pretty darn good at cross country skiing, for example, in order to get the credibility or the following, <clears throat> the respect, probably not only from customers, which is most important, but perhaps from employees and, and also from suppliers. I would agree. And it's probably a little less now than it was maybe five to 10 years ago. Now I'm just older. So now I think, oh my gosh, I've lost respect because I'm, you know, in my 60s now. So it all varies. Hurry. <laughs> I don't think anyone's lost respect for you or ever will. Okay. Let me change subject and ask you if you have a favorite race that you've ever done, a day that brought great emotion or memories. Oh, yes. I mean, there's a lot of fun races. Yeah. Uh, the one I love was the Arctic Circle race. It was in Greenland. And it was 350K races, or you didn't, you could choose a race or not, I'm back to back. And you stayed in Kwanzaa Hut and you were with all these different people from different countries. And you were, you know, near the Arctic Circle and it was ab absolutely an amazing race. The type of people that went there, the type of young kids they supported in a shorter version of the Arctic Circle race. It was, it was, um, it was, it was unbelievable. We, my girlfriend and I um, had a tent against next to Russians who were snoring. You had um, all sorts of colorful people. It wasn't, I loved it. So that would be one in, you know, outside of the U.S. And one that I loved in the U.S. was called, um, it was, um, it was in Colorado and it was a snowshoe speed skate and cross country ski race. And that was, it was very, very fun. It took about six to seven hours. A lot of different triathletes did it. And, um, and I'll remember the name in a second. I forgot it now. But yeah, I like different, different types of adventures and different types of skiing. And of course, skiing across Finland was another great one that um, was super fun. But the Arctic Circle Race stands out. So in that Arctic Circle Race, I imagine there were numerous times, not only when you were skiing, but also in the tent at night where you kind of pinch yourself Am I really doing this? Oh, and gosh. it's so stimulating, isn't it? To do things that you're not sure you could do out of your comfort yeah. zone. We stop and you look at the fjords and then you take off your skis. There wasn't much snow and you're running through lichen. And then you have a choice in the feed station between whale blubber or chocolate. And you just go, oh my gosh. I guess my best memory, if I won't bore anybody, was no. the first night you think you're going to be really freezing. And we're in this tent. And you know, we're on the Arctic Circle, and it's gonna be quiet, you know, see the Borealis and it you know, to contemplate life. And the Russians were snoring next to us. The boyfriends of all the uh, um, sort of the Green Greenlandic people that were there to give us massages, they're all driving their snowmobiles up at night, going up and down the snow ridges. And then there was a snow cat trying to create a wind block for us, and every time it would go backwards, it would go beep, beep, beep. And it was about 35 degrees and I had to like take off all our clothes but our jog bra. And I'm going, this is like sleeping in New York City. This is unbelievable. 
And so it just went on from there. It was really something colorful. I've never done a 50K three days in a row. First off, were they all classic or was it classic? It's all classic. I'm not that great in classic. It was all classic. Yes. Um, and so, and were you carrying a, like a light backpack or something with stuff in it or, or how'd, that, how'd yeah. that work? We carried a light backpack with um, change of clothes and some food. And um, if you chose, you know, we had clister skis. So you brought some extra clister and um, yeah, that in your, in your um, phone and took pictures if you could. So, so it was great. I know if I were doing something like that, I wouldn't want to sleep in a tent. I'd be looking for a massage. I'd want a comfortable bed. I'd roll out a whole bunch, you know, all the body maintenance stuff you between the between the marathon days. Um, that must have been interesting going from the tent was the was the coolest thing about it. You had Quonsa had to you had to bring oh yeah, you had to bring your own food and you could park it in your tent because you did 50k up to where the Quonsa huts were set up, and then you did a 50k loop. That was the second day, and then the third day you did 50k back. So you had your tents, and you had um, you had to bring your food. They did provide some hot water and stuff, and it was it was remarkable. Yeah, what I'm saying is I don't I like tents and that whole thing, but doing a tent while you're doing three 50ks in a row means it it makes it that much more difficult to do the body maintenance type things that you you want to do, like rolling out and so on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, I mean, it wasn't there to win it or anything. Yeah, but still, that's a long way. You know, that's uh, yeah. it's not easy. So, yeah. it's been a heck of an adventure. Cool. Was, was. Plus the international aspect of the whole thing. Yeah. So, how would you describe yourself as an athlete? You're obviously really good in a lot of different things athletically. Uh, do you have strength and weaknesses, and what that might they be? Yes, of course I do. I mean, I discovered doing athletics like this pretty late in life probably I I could ever have anything to do all over I wish I learned how to ski early in life I would have loved to try for the Olympic team and cross-country skiing um, I rode horses in high school and um, skied after college and um, so I took it as far as I could I have a lot of weaknesses I mean I don't have a lot of speed I don't um, have a lot of height or, or quickness but um i i'm pretty tough and i'm mentally tough and i can i can handle probably my way through things um so there's some good at triathlons solid solid at triathlons and solid at skiing so, you know there's people with brilliance but um this was enough to take me places and i think i use skiing and triathlons to take me um, to a variety of different races in Europe and in the U.S. and to expose myself to some really fun adventures. Um, I've done seven Ironmans. I've done Nice, France triathlon. I've done a couple of Hawaii Ironmans. And so, and I've done canoe triathlons and, you know, just mix it up. And I think it's been very colorful. And in some ways, by not maybe taking as far as your wife has or anyone else, it's allowed me a little more relaxed adventure time while doing this and um, it's just been what I absolutely love. So um, I've been very fortunate to find what I enjoy doing. Yeah, absolutely. So Jane, how would you describe yourself as a businesswoman? You know, the same kind of question, but um, I think a lot of people are listening, interesting, interested to hear from your, your perspectives as a businesswoman. And this could be quite interesting, I think, for people to hear. Well, gosh, I mean, I think, I think all of most of us women always see our faults 
And I will say that's probably, I don't, I've never really looked at that picture. I see everything I don't do. I always look at successful business people and say, oh my gosh, well, they built this business and I've only made it to, you know, five or 6 million gross sales. You know, how did these people grow their business to 10, 12, 13, or what angle did they see that I didn't see? Or I'm so bad in telecom, you know, uh, technology that I can't create the type of, um, or have the type of knowledge that I could become a backcountry. And so I have to rely on people and I have to, um, I think I'm tenacious. I, I know I have a lot of energy. I know I can make decisions pretty quickly and move on. Um, I think any business person really needs to be honest. Um, it doesn't go far if you're not. So I try to do the, I always look at everything and try to see where my fault is, lies in it. Then once I either try to fix myself or I try to fix the situation, um, if I don't see it's my fault. And you, as you, um, you learn not to take on everybody else's issues, otherwise you'll just collapse. You have to figure out how to deflect the things that aren't really as important. So somebody told me the cost of being, cost of perfection will kill you. I mean, and people ask, how, I mean, I, wa I watch people that have to be absolutely perfect and maybe trying to make the Olympic, I have a friend that was on the U.S. Olympic team um, twice, uh, Doug Peterson, and he, um, you have to be perfect. I mean, and I can't afford to run a business and have that attitude. You, um, you have to be pretty good at a lot of things and um, be accepting of what you can't control, but still know the direction you need to take. And so it's a constant juggle and I, but it's pretty exciting. I, I love business. I love figuring out, it's like puzzle pieces and I love figuring out how to learn more with it. I like the psychology of it and you know, the numbers you just have to, you have to try to get better at it. There's always something to learn all the time. I don't know if that answers the question. Oh, absolutely. That's really interesting. So here's a, Tough question. Maybe you don't even want to say this <laughs> because of giving away secrets, but looking at the retail Nordic ski industry, what trends are you seeing currently? And I'm going to ask you also about trends that you're going to expect in five years from now. Well, I'll tell you, this COVID situation has blown all business, business school books out of the water. What trends I might have seen five years ago, I'm not sure where they will go now. I mean, in general, the trends have been, um, I mean, we've got a trend with e-commerce. So I've always said to my crew here at Gear West, if I could redo the entire store, it would be a central hub around service. And then the spokes would be all the products that we might sell because you came here in service. Um, I'm a, we're, I want to create a type of genius bar that we can offer what Apple did, um, which is great service and questions about service and you come here for service and at every level, um, whether you're a beginner, intermediate or advanced um, athlete, and then hopefully you'll buy some stuff from us. So trying to navigate through uh, the Amazon um, and e-commerce has been very challenging. And of course, we're a mid-sized e-commerce store so everything is just very expensive for us. I mean, free shipping is certainly not free to the owners of the business. Um, we can only grow so much given our technology and our 
point of sale system. So we have a lot of restraints. How do we work with it when we have to invest in the next level? There is, um, um, so the trend is e-commerce for sure. The trend is extremely good service. I think there's only gonna be a few of us that are gonna stay alive, but the few of us that do will, um, will do well because I still think people want to talk to people. And it's um, uh, maybe the outdoor um, growth will stay strong for a couple of years. It all depends on if, how long this virus is here to stay. I think people will fall back to going indoors um, eventually. So we have to be really careful how much we invest into um, you know, this, this growth in the bike industry. I know that the manufacturers are thinking the same thing. But it's also given us great opportunity to expand to reach new people. So it's a it's a juggle. Um, I think you have to be very very flexible. As as a small business, you have to be willing to turn on a dime. I think the mid mid sized businesses are going to have some challenge because they're not big enough to maybe ride through the losses they might have by being inflexible. But they won't be flexible enough to to adjust to um, changes, just like the COVID. If I had five, six, 10, 11 stores, I wouldn't be able to probably um, have the variety of ways we've dealt with our customer fears. I mean, we can just do a lot of things in 24 hours and make a, make a change in our service, make a change in what we buy. So flexibility is key. It's, it's constantly juggling, constantly figuring out how to reinvest any money we make into improving our store and um, really truly caring about our customer. Super. Uh, that's, uh, those were wise words, I think. Yeah. Let me ask you a different Come out all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so do I. You've raced the Berkey, I think, about 30 times. Does that sound right? Yeah, 30 or more. Yeah. Maybe more. And, and you've served in the board of directors for the Berkebiner, for the American Berkebiner in the last eight years. What does the yes. Berkey mean to you? It's obviously not just a ski race. I, I love the Berkebiner and I love being on the board because it's got the mix of everything I like, the mix of a little bit of business, the mix of family skiing, the mix of serious racing. At one time I tried my best to, to win it. Um, and it, um, and it has to reinvent itself because we're ski races just can't be ski races anymore. They have to be um, offer bike racing. They have to offer junior development um, outdoor activities. They have to have running races. So to me, the Berkey was about the same size as our business. And it allowed me to, um, I hope, be oh, at least give my... Um, my thoughts on concerns and my my um, knowledge on sponsorships. That's how re the first reason why I entered it was trying to help Berkey pay more attention to their sponsors and what sponsors were looking for at the race. Um, there's it's a, it's an interesting organization. It's not too political like um, some other ones are. At least not as political as any race that has to run be run in the city like. Um, Lopet, they have completely different pressures. So, um, and I think it's good for the Berkey to have outsider people on the board from Minnesota or from Wisconsin to give a different perspective. I know I brought in the idea of snow baking. It was then taken and certainly 
um, move forward with a lot of passionate people. But um, in Minnesota, we need snowmaking is the only reason why our businesses exist. And it's gotten to the point that Berkey had to think about that as well. So it's been a, it's been a great um, uh, combination of um, learning, just being involved in something I love. You I'm hoping you get back. Thank you. Hmm? You mentioned snowmaking. That's something I don't mind bringing up. If someone from anywhere would ask me, you know, what, what, are, the, what are the best places to ski in the United States? Or what's like a, an awesome ski town? No question, Twin Cities. And, and they might think, well, that's because there's so many skiers. Well, yeah, but what I'm really saying is the opportunities to ski on fantastic terrain with beautifully groomed trails that you know are going to have good conditions. And, and, you know, there are a number of places you can ski. Twin, as far as I'm concerned, Twin Cities is probably the best ski town in the United States. It's fantastic. Yeah, we have to thank the Three, the three Rivers Park District for that. Um, yeah. And their investment in snowmaking along with um, the city of the lake slope it and having snowmaking as well. The west side has three options for snowmaking and several additional parks if we do have man-made, I mean, regular snow. We are very fortunate. Um, we've got some great places to ski. It's, Absolutely. The super yeah. terrain, and you can even pick your terrain, and they're all fairly close. And mm -hmm. what I also love, I love when it's crowded. I know you get sick of it when you're there, you know, because you're dealing with it all the time, but I love seeing that many excited skiers on, uh, it's just a fantastic thing. It's skiing is huge. And we have the high school business and the high school, the high school activity and the youth that stick with skiing are some incredibly remarkable young people. I would say that's one other facet of our business, being able to hire and um, be exposed to the high school skiers who, if they love skiing, they love sports, they love, they're, they're usually always smart, they're driven. It's a, a great group of kids and you see them out there enjoying skiing and it's a lot of fun. So let me go back to the Berkey. Um, you've done at least 30 Berkeys and you've spent tons of time around the Berkey. Pretty much everyone listening to this, I think has done, uh, is an experienced skier or ski racer. So with that in mind, do you have any tips regarding the Berkey? Because I think sometimes something as simple as, you know, something very basic can be like one of those aha moments. Like you might've seen many Berkeys and said, I don't understand how, people, how come people don't take advantage of this or how come they don't do this? Is there some kind of tip that you'd like to, to give? Well, a tip, um, I think it is to like any racing, to not do stupid things. <laughs> so you don't go out too fast. You don't trip over your skis because you're not paying attention to where you're going. You don't forget to have take feed stations. You don't dress for lightweight racing when it's freezing out. You have to be practical as well as committed. And I think if you are committed to go through the fact that the Berkey is hard and there's hard climbs and there's it's not an easy race and you're com you've been committed in terms of training for it. The rest is practicality. You have to make sure there's no special, you know, just like there's no special diet. There's no special wax that's going to get you through. There's no special high end boot that will get you through, or maybe a special grind. Although you do need to have decent skis for the weather. Um, it, 
it just takes a balanced approach like anything else. Here's a question for you. I appreciate what you just said. I want to add, add a follow-up, and that is, is there, outside of the ski race itself, is there a Berkey experience that people shouldn't miss? At one time in their lives, they should go to, I don't know, the Muskie or go to this or the Expo or like some kind of Berkey phenomenon that they shouldn't miss, at least they should experience once. The Berkey phenomenon, I'll tell you, to me, well, my phenomenon's a little bit different because the Berkey means the end of a very, very busy season and an end of a five days of working as well as wanting to race. And so I just have more wine than I normally have um, afterwards. I think to me, the, the most fun and the memories I will take from the Berkey is staying with your friends, of all your friends prior to the Berkey and after the Berkey and having a really good sense of humor and making it fun no matter how you place. The, the friendships and the stories and the enjoyment and the relaxation and the laughter is what I will always take away from the Berkey. Uh, I have a small cabin. I try to invite as many people as I can there. I absolutely love it. They might make themselves at home. I'll come in late at night from working in the expo and they're having fun and I just join in and I drink my first scotch after the Berkey a couple you know, years ago and it's just fun to be relaxed. So. You know what I think um, is a cannot miss type thing is kind of what you're saying, but you go and do the Berkey and you might be with a bunch of friends and they're all in different waves, having different experiences, maybe doing classic, Cordy, Berkey, full length, you know, et cetera. And at some point, everyone finds their way back to the house. At some exactly. point. And then the stories start. And that's, yes. that's, that's probably the best part of the entire day even, you know? It, it, it is. It's when the stories start. It's when everyone's coming back. They're bringing their, uh, their, their challenges. They're bringing their funny stories. We still have a Swix balloon that one of my young high school, college um, helpers tied from, took from the expo and skied the entire Berkey with. It's still in my cabin. Um, I've got the ski joint dogs. They're still outside howling. It's, um, it's, everyone is enjoying their element and it's an element that I love. And so that's why it's so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. So I want to ask you a totally different question now again. Um, well, I've asked you about your favorite race. I want to ask you now about your favorite experience as pertains to running gear West. You know, some people put their first dollar on the wall or you hit your first million of revenue or, you know, whatever, I don't know, or a customer experience or something. Oh, yeah, is. Yeah, yeah. My favorite experience is watching the whole team come together and produce something. I would say there's two examples of that. One is our Berkey Wax Race Service. There's a tremendous amount of skis that come in. There's people coming and buying Berkey outfits and our entire team is either serving the customers or setting up wax stations in our store and loading up the product to take up north. Everybody comes together. We're all working towards the same thing. And I look back and it's sort of just like, I imagine it's like a conductor and all of a sudden all your, everybody that's part of the entire creation of the music comes together and works together. And the other piece would be when we're really, really busy at the store on a, on a weekend. We, you know, we might love skiing. We finally have the business. We finally have snow. 
everyone is pushed to their max. We're all supporting each other and fitting skis, ringing up people, fitting boots. And at the end of the day, we did it. And it takes a lot of training to do that. And, um, and a lot of effort and a lot of knowledge and a lot of growth and a lot of people that finally know about our store. And when you have those days, it's really, really remarkable. So that would be it. Yeah, that's interesting because you said one of your biggest challenges is managing your, managing your employees. So when when they do such a great job, kind of like an orchestra, that must be right. super satisfying. Yeah, it is. It doesn't happen often. <laughs> yeah. So, of course, service and expertise count a lot. And this COVID day and way things are day and age, um, the way things are changing, who knows? But clearly, currently, still running a successful retail business, as well as from my perspective depends a ton on relationships. Relationships with your suppliers, with your customers, with your employees. Uh, can you comment on this, please? Because that's something you've done very well. Well, I know early in the, early in the start of COVID, we called all of our uh, suppliers and we said, hey, we don't know how it's gonna turn out. Um, we may, how should we go about it if we have to shut down um, and we've got shipments coming? Um, can you work with us? What shipments should we take? Are we allowed to, to um, have later dating if they don't work? Are we just going to pick items that don't change the following year? So we sat down with our major suppliers and tried to work through reasonable expectations for both of us. Um, I cut back on some clothing and then now, of course, it's um, we have a little more demand than we thought, but it's all shifted in where the demand is. It's in touring versus racing, just like bikes. It wasn't in triathlons. So it, it's constantly, yeah, it's working with the suppliers and um, saying we're in this together and how do we, can you work with me to, to make it work? Cool. Um, you know, I've been the Toko glove designer from the beginning. You've been a Toko dealer for many years. I'm curious, um, I know you've got a favorite Toko glove. Can you describe your favorite Toko glove and why, please? Oh, your toasty warm mittens. Um, I have cold hands and I put the, my hands into those mittens and I can ski another hour longer and coach another two hours longer. So um, mittens are, are the reason why I can still continue to ski. So I take this stuff personally. Uh, everything I do, I pretty much, it's a, it's a labor of love and it's personal. And you, you told me maybe five years ago, I, I kind of said, you know, what are we missing? I kind of like using you as a soundboard, you know, like what am I kind of like looking at a mirror sometimes? I'll say, okay, what am I missing? You're like what's a hole in the line or what could we be doing better? And you pulled out a mitten from a different brand and said, these are my favorite mittens I've ever had. They're warm and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, damn it. <laughs> I said, okay, I'm coming after them. And that's, that's what the, I came up with the toasty mittens. And then I, once they became successful, I added three times the insulation and tested that. And that's where the toasty thermal mittens came from. They, I specifically designed them as a result of you and Lynn Cecil's um, feedback, just so you know. And I'm glad I well, did. Well, it's cold here in Minnesota. We need yeah. them, and they are warm. So they are they're hanging up at our store right now. My wife has very bad circulation. And she pretty much came to the point where if it was really cold out, it was a nightmare. She didn't want to go outside, yeah. but she loved going outside. And these mittens, she stanked me a thousand times because... Now she doesn't worry about the temperature anymore. No matter how cold it is, she's good with those mittens. So that's been a big deal personally as well. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, we've talked about this some, so let me rephrase this question. 
if you were to do your athletic career over again, what might you do differently and why, except for starting skiing earlier? Because we've already talked about that. But is there another aspect to your athletic career, which has been very long and very diverse, that you might do, have done differently? Well, it is about skiing. I, I, I would have, I love skiing. I can never get enough of skiing. I would have skied earlier. I don't think there's anything else. I do have a little, a little idea. I, mean, I started out horseback riding. I rode until I had to go to college. And now, again, I, I think there's a lot of different things out in the world. And I thought, I read this story about this ride across Mongolia. And actually a 70 year old did it and he did pretty well. And you ride these little Mongolian horses for a thousand miles and you turn them over about every 25 miles. And I thought, wow, that'd be an interesting way of ending my whole athletic career by doing this race across Mongolia. So, but it requires me first finding the time and it also requires, it's very expensive. So I'm not quite sure how I would swing that. And it requires me starting riding again and Again, finding the time and pulling my way from triathlons. But it also, to me, is a little totem because I'm 61 years old and I don't want to look back and say I've done the same race, the same things over and over again. And if I could find the time in a couple of years from, like, I'm looking, but this is a two-year venture, maybe by next year, making time for a little another kind of adventure and ending up on riding horses and still experiencing doors in a way that, I've tried to do with skiing, and so um, just trying things that are different. Yeah. Well, here, here's a question related to that, Then, I think it was two springs ago. It must have been shortly before you had your bike crash, I believe. You went on a um, backcountry trip in, was it Western Canada? Yes, yes, yes. Um, that was fantastic. So I would know, also love the backcountry ski, too. I would love to ski. So that's a question. When did you start back? Was that your first backcountry skiing adventure? It was my first one. And I, uh, I forgot about that because I don't have many different oppor- many opportunities to do that in the winter. If I could go backcountry skiing and, and ski touring, and I would absolutely love that. That was another great trip. Anything hut to hut, I would love to do. Yeah, absolutely. So out in, Utah, out in Utah, pretty much everyone in Nordic skis, almost everyone in Nordic skis is also a backcountry skier. And when there's a powder day, they don't hit the track. They hit their. They get their big skis with their skins, and they go up <laughs> in the mountains and come down. And it's more or less a distance workout for everybody. They don't. They don't think of it as training, but it is training. It's a lot of fun, and you know, it's it's a different kind of. Um, there's different opportunities here, you know. And, I know. I'm envious of that. I would love to do that with all my heart. I just cannot do it here. So, um, when I when I move this business on to somebody else, I'm going backcountry skiing. But but thinking <laughs> oh, yeah. about your trip, I have to think that. That's something you would have loved to have done is started backcountry. You know, you do it every five years, go for a backcountry hut tour or something like that. That would that's something totally different and yes. magical. It's a full-on adventure. Yes, it requires leaving here though. And yeah. in the ski time in the ski business, I can't leave here. So um, that's why I said every five years. <laughs> yes, five years I'll be backcountry skiing for sure. <laughs> across Mongolia and then continue backcountry skiing. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, what is something about you that might surprise people if they were to find out? I'm probably not as tough as I look. Seriously. So there are different types of toughness. Like I know for a fact, you put a a bib on you, you're tough as nails. That's a for sure. I have no question about that. If there's a task at hand in front of you, 
like you need to get something done before a particular deadline, I have no doubt you're tough as nails when it comes to that. If you don't mind, you know, exposing um, yourself, what, what is it, what, what, where are you not as tough? Oh, there's so many doubts. There's so many things I don't think I do well, I should do better. Um, there's a lot, just a lot of doubts and, um, or insecurities. And I think that, yes, I can make decisions. I can get things done. And people think, oh, it just comes easy. Oh, you know, I, I remember somebody um, saying, oh, I know I was giving a talk. And I remember talking about going outside and skiing and doing things outside. And the lady said, well, that takes so much work. And, um, you know, I said, well, actually, that's a little different. That's another story. Um, so I was looking at her and how well-dressed she was and telling her how much work it took her to put on her nylons and her, her nail polish and everything else. So I was trying to show people that, you know, it just depends on what you, what you commit yourself to. But I think in the same vein, people would say, oh, well, working out comes easy to you. Well, not really. I mean, I enjoy it. I know I will choose it versus not working out, but it's, 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 it doesn't come easier to me just because I'm Jan and I own a store. I'm as busy as anybody else. I get cold. I get tired. I don't feel like working out. It, it's, um, I mean, people think that um, because I've gotten some success in things I do that I, it's easy or I must be really tough at it. And it's not. Um, but you have to, that's, I guess, what I'm as <laughs> tough in that area. Um, and um, and I think I think people will be surprised and realize that you know, I have the same uh, the same doubts and the same challenges as we all do. Cool, that's interesting. So I, I think my last question would be: Do you have a mantra or philosophy that can be summed up in a few words? Yeah, man, that's good. It's like a mission statement that took me like ten years to develop for the store. Um, it's balance, balance and love. I mean, I seriously, it's it. It's balance and love. You got to love what you're doing. You got to love the opportunities and you got to keep it all in a balance. And it makes it positive. That resonates with me. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's been funny and I've known you for a long time. And I think the more I've gotten to know you, the more I've read about you, the more fascinated I am and what you've accomplished. So it goes many, many ways. It's a fun industry to be in because there's so many cool people in it. I don't actually think- I'd be in the telecommunications industry. It does not re re resonate right, with, right. with you. I, I think it's, that you and I have a lot in common, honestly. Yeah. In terms of our personalities and and all, and maybe how people per, people perceive us. I think we have- Yeah, a lot yeah I would say so. You scared me for a while. Oh, really? <laughs> your flat haircut, your confidence. <laughs> well, so I think you come across the same too. Yeah, so there you are. We're not really as scary as you might appear. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I, I think this has been a fascinating interview and I hope that people um, uh, enjoy it and are inspired by it. Um, I know it's going to be very popular and uh, I appreciate, I know this is a busy time, of course, for me, but for you, it's a real busy time. So I appreciate well, you. I was honored for you to call and there's so many cool people with different perspectives and um, glad to add the business one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Cool. Thanks. Well, thank you all. Hopefully I'll talk with you soon. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. You still there? Yes. Okay.
that was the goodbye, and then I just hit the stop recording button. But I mean, I don't really have much else to say except for thank you. But oh. we're not recording anymore. That was the goodbye. Okay. The podcast. <laughs> All right. No, that was really fun. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I'll send you the links. Yeah. So I'm going to send you an Apple Podcast link and a YouTube link because both of them have been the two most popular ways of um, of viewing it. Okay. And then you can, you know, if you want, you can share it in your social media channels or whatever. But um, ah, it'll that'd be, be great. I definitely right will. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It'll be okay. great. I hope it thanks came out again. well. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks again. Bye. Bye.